please turn in your Bibles to the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 1. This morning's text is one verse, 1 John 1 verse 5. Give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word, his holy, inerrant, and infallible word, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So far the reading of God's word, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us this portion of the scriptures for our consideration, for our instruction, and for conviction. We ask, Lord, that not a single person here would leave unchanged, including the preacher, that you would now be pleased with the words of my mouth and the thoughts and reflections and questions on each one of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I used to be a science teacher in the first lesson of the semester. Some of you are going back to school, so the professor's first assignment, the teacher's first lecture of the semester tends to say a lot about where things are going this year. You probably know within five or 10 minutes, is this gonna be a good class? Do I like this class? Do I like this teacher or not? You can be sure of this. The class isn't going to be much better than that first lecture. Well, if the Apostle John is our professor this morning, we'll call him Dr. John Zebedee. The first lesson, as the gospel prologue ends, the prologue are the first four verses that we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, This first lesson is a lesson in the gospel. That's the sermon title this morning, your first gospel lesson. Do you know the gospel? It's helpful that Dr. John Zebedee is beginning with the first gospel lesson because he's starting with the ABCs, the one, two, threes, the basics. This is gospel 101. And the word here on our text, which is message, this is the message we have heard, literally means announcement or good news. We need to pay attention then, like a a herald. It's not just a lecture, after all. It's something that's being proclaimed. There's trumpets involved and fanfare and proclamation. My hope this morning is that you would be able to leave here knowing better what the gospel is, hearing the good news proclaimed. There are three crucial elements that our text has. First, the gospel begins with God. Second, it's from Jesus. And third, it changes our lives. It begins with God, it's from Jesus, and it changes our lives. So let's begin then first. The first crucial truth, this gospel lesson is that the gospel begins with God. Take a look at the text. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
The first clause here, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, we can sort of set that aside. That's a preamble. The first word is God. So God is first in even in terms of the sequence. It's the first word out of John's mouth when he's talking about the gospel. The gospel begins with God literally, sequentially, numerically, according to the apostle. But then he says, this is the message. This is referring back to what we've been studying in verses 1 through 4. So in a way, he's continuing what he's been talking about, but it's somewhat surprising to hear this statement about God because God hasn't been stipulated or, or pointed out in such a radical way up until now. John has been moving in and out with nuance and innuendo and hints and suggestion. And here it's like he breaks out of the gate and he says, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And it isn't just the first word in the proclamation, it's the first statement in the letter of John. We've, we've finished the prologue, and in a way, this statement stands as a banner over the entire five chapters of what is John's first epistle. We can read this statement about God as a summary of everything that this letter is about, as a foundation on which everything John is going to build it's a great principle for the Christian life as well. It's January, it's the beginning of a year, we're thinking about resolutions, and the first four words of the Bible are a great resolution for you this year. In the beginning, God. You see, the Bible begins with God. And so it's appropriate that the gospel begins with God as well. Now this might, for some of you, maybe if you're a young person, you're like, aren't we in church? Aren't we supposed to be talking about God? Well, yes. It might seem obvious, but it's not as obvious as you think. For over 200 years, our country has been veering steadily away from putting God first. And I'm not just talking about societally and the cultural darkness of the world, which is defined by either ignoring God or putting him second. I'm talking about the church. The church in our country has progressively moved away from placing God first in the gospel, and in his place is someone called man. And so church is about me and my needs, and religion is about what I'm doing for God and what I'm getting from him. Lloyd-Jones puts it like this in his sermon on this text. Here I am, quote, in this world with its troubles, and I don't feel good. I'm looking for something that I need, something that I don't have. I'm aware of my needs and desires. I'm aware of a lack of happiness. So the tendency, he says, for most of us is to approach the whole subject of religion, to approach God and Christian truth and everything else in terms of my desires and my demands. In short, to not begin with God in the gospel, but to begin with me. Some have called this an interesting phrase, moral therapeutic deism. So it's moral, it's, it's above average. If you used to listen to the Garrison Keillor show where, 
where the women are strong, the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. So moral meaning an above average lifestyle as judged by my neighbors that helps me. That's the therapy. We definitely live in a therapeutic culture. And deistic meaning like not God like he's involved, just sort of God that I kind of know that he's there, a general warm, fuzzy sensation that there's some divine being somewhere in the room. But the first answer to the gospel has nothing to do with this. It is forget yourself and your needs and look at God. Start with God and then you will understand yourself. This is how Calvin began his institutes. He says, I don't know where to, where to begin, whether I begin with the, in, this, in the great compendium of Christian religion, do I begin in studying man or do I begin with studying God? And he says, I do not know which to choose, but let's begin with God. So whether it's a massive summary of the Christian religion, a simple summary like we, like we just recited in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God. Or the gospel which comes to us in the first letter of John, the answer is to begin with God. When we do this, we are silenced and put in the background, Lloyd-Jones notes. God is at the center. Do you know what theology means? It's the study of God. And that should be the occupation, not just of experts and professors and seminary instructors and pastors. Theology is the, is the preoccupation of every single person, man, woman, boy, and girl. The study of God. Of course, it isn't just a problem in America. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, it's the problem that our first parents had. God gave the command. He gave them an opportunity to begin with him, and they didn't. The woman asked, when the fruit seemed to her to be pleasing to the eyes, when it seemed to her to be useful in making one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it and gave, her, gave it to the husband who was with her, and he also ate. You see, the gospel begins with the reality that had we, had we stayed focused on God, there wouldn't be any need for salvation. We would be confirmed in original righteousness and I suspect glorified permanently and forever. But instead, the salvation program was instituted because man was placed at the center of the universe instead of God. Now, by starting with God, what do we find that John is telling us about him? I think it's quite startling, actually. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. What does this mean? The gospel message describes God as light. And I thought about putting up a slide, but I'm, you're going to have to work with me in pictures. If you can take out the word is and put in the word, put in the symbol, an equal symbol there. God equals light. So the word is is stipulating, it's asserting, it's attributing something to God. It's describing God in a certain way. But notice the order. It's as if John is looking across all of creation and he's choosing one thing out of creation, we're calling it light. He's saying light. God is light. 
He doesn't say he's like light, although that's true. He says God is light. But he chose something from creation to describe God. But God is the creator. So what's being used to describe God is something that God himself made. Now that's very instructive. It says that everything that God makes bears his signature or has an echo, his fingerprints. If you look at a famous work of art, you, you, I always look to see the signature, and artists all sign their names differently. Well, in every single created thing, we can see an echo of the divine nature. And of all the things that best reflects God, we choose, John is choosing, the first created thing, light. And God said what? Let there be light. I wonder if that's part of why he chose to start with light because light best reflects him and his nature. And John picks up on this. We're already at the beginning, 1 John 1, 1. That was, was from the beginning, that which we have heard and seen with, uh, with our eyes and so forth. So I see another tie here to the first moments, the first hours, the first days of creation. I love nature especially the day after the storm. Were you out on, on that day? I, and I knew it was going to be this way because that night, Friday night, I looked up into the sky and I saw stars. One of the brothers in the church says, yeah, even in New Jersey you can see stars. But the moon, the stars were like diamond pinpricks. I even wrote about it in my journal. My, fa- the, my family makes a joke about me when I, when I look out into look out through the window into the backyard or, or on a hike. I'm always looking at the light shining through the trees. And I'm quite honestly offended that they make fun of me for saying this. But they do. This is what kids do. But you know, Monet is known as he paints with light, the great French Impressionist painter. And if you look at the scene, the water lilies or the haystacks, there's a way that the, the dapples of yellow and green and, and blue somehow capture the light. And on that morning, Saturday morning, when I went and took our dog for a walk and just the, the diamond sparkling snow and the sharp, clear sunshine, the rays, the, sh- the sharp shadows on the snow, all of it, all of creation, the mountains, the wind, The skies, the sun, reflects the glory of God. Rocks, rain, oceans. But not just the natural world. The the world of creatures also reflects God. There's There's an echo of the divine majesty in birds and in lions and all the other creatures. Show us, tell us about God. They're... They're a book. It's it's sometimes called a book of nature. Psalm 19 talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. It's, it's, It's a way of learning about God by studying nature. And even when we move into human beings, human marriage tells us something about God, doesn't it? We're told that the love between a man and a woman 
is reflective of the love between Christ and the church. So human relationships reflect God. And I want to look at a verse with you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is explaining the gospel in the first half of this chapter in Ephesians 3. And he comes to verse 14. We're thinking about how human relationships reflect God. And look at this verse, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And this is the key phrase from whom every family or fatherhood, as the footnote says, all fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. So something original about God as Father, something primal, something ancient, the ancient of days. God is the ancient Father, and all human fatherhood, all family relationships derive their meaning and reality and blessing from the original family relationship in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what this text is saying. So we don't have a Father in heaven because we lack a Father on earth and we're searching, yearning, clawing for some meaning in this life. Somewhere we can get some get some respite from the awful horrors of our human parents. And so we create this being and we call him father as a way of justifying human patriarchy and oppression. God the Father is the original. And from him all parentage, and in particular all fatherhood, is named. We have a high calling then. It's an impossible task. And so our text in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light, is the same. We don't say God is light because light is the brightest thing we can see. God created light, and he says, this light is the closest thing you can get to me. In talking about this, about creation and the creator, about how the Creator is revealed in creation. You can see how easy it is for people to slip into something the Bible calls idolatry. Idolatry is when you worship creation instead of the Creator. And what godly men and women do is they maintain a distinction between creation and the Creator. Now, All other religions at some level break down at this point. They fail to maintain the difference between the creator and his creation. So what I'm saying is, is that reality, if I may put it that way, which encompasses God and the creation, reality is binary. It is two. God and his works. And what unbelief in all of its religious forms is trying to do is to make the two into one. And so we have 
efforts to domesticate God, to make God something that we can control, like creation can be controlled. You can plow the driveway. You can throw salt on the ice. You can, you can warm up your car. These are things that you do. And we do this to God. And when we do this, we don't worship God as God, but Romans chapter 1 We exchange the glory of the incorruptible God who is light for a lie, which is to say we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We do this with religion. When we use our religious actions and activities, including the Holy Supper of our Lord, to try to manipulate God and get something from him, we are no longer worshiping God. We are worshiping the creation and something of our own imagination. We do this with our morality. We throw out God's law and we put in our own law. Non-binary law. God says, I am God and you are the creature. So reality in God's existence is fundamentally defined by him. And the whole movement in homosexuality and trans, transvestitism and, and all the alternative sexualities and sexual identities is fundamentally idolatry because it's breaking down the creature-creator distinction and saying, I can do what I want. I can be my own God. Rather than living with the body and the identity and the, and the genes and the chromosomes and the circumstances into which God has placed you and using only lawful means to change those circumstances. So this is, this is what's at stake when he begins with the gospel and saying the gospel is about God. Isaiah 45 I'm sorry, Isaiah 46. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be be alike? Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my holy purpose. Isaiah 46, the gospel begins with God. Secondly, not only does the gospel begin with God, but it is from Jesus Christ. Take a look at the text. This is the message that we have heard from him. The him there, the pronoun, is Jesus. What does Jesus say about God? Well, we've seen in verses 1 through 4 that the word of life is the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus summarized in the preaching of the gospel. It is eternal life, which was with the Father in eternity past, was incarnate in the fullness of time in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He lived, died, and rose again. And the preaching of Jesus is the word of life. So if anybody knows God, it's Jesus And so the gospel is from Jesus. It is the message that we heard from him. This is the message we proclaim to you. I had lots of things I wanted to say this morning. 
but I need to say and to preach and to proclaim what I have heard from him. That's what you need. The idea of a a creative pastor has its limits. We are conservative, not politically. We are conservative in that we conserve and preserve the word of God in the message of Jesus in the preaching of the gospel. It is from Jesus. So this is a challenge to you. Is Jesus' gospel presentation, is it sufficient? Are you content with Jesus? And it's interesting, there's, uh, we're going to do a little Bible study here. Turn in to John's gospel, gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to walk through several verses here that show us what Jesus says about God and the gospel and himself. John chapter 1, I have five verses here. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here it is. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So according to Jesus, there is the life of God, which is the light of men. Jesus, through Jesus, we have the life of God because Jesus is the light of the world. Flip over to John 3. Verse 19. Jesus is speaking and he says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus is describing himself. He is the light who has come into the world. He's describing us, that we love darkness rather than the light because we don't want to be exposed. It reminds me of the Garden of Eden, hiding under our fig leaves still to this day. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, he says in verse 21. John 8, 12. My third reference here. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 11. Verse 9 and 10. John 11, verse 9 and 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. 
But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So we're called by Jesus to walk according to the will of God, which is God himself, the light. And then finally, John 12. We'll conclude our little survey of John's teaching, Jesus' teaching about the gospel. John 12, verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Jesus is telling us that the gospel involves believing in him, receiving life from him. He was sent from God for our salvation. And our salvation is described as moving from darkness to light. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. You were once in darkness. You were in the kingdom of darkness, Paul says. But he has translated you into the kingdom of his beloved son. So that brings me to my final point, which is the gospel not only begins with God and comes from Jesus, it is a way of life. The gospel has to change our life. We've seen this in James when James says that faith without works is dead. This is John's way of saying it. He says God is light, but he doesn't leave it there. He adds a kind of a gotcha, and he said, and in him is no darkness at all. You get my drift? And then he goes on to elaborate that, which we'll see next week. You see, the gospel has to change our life. It's not enough that God is light. It's that we are called as his image bearers to resemble him in in his holiness, in his truthfulness, and in his beauty. The fellowship of joy, back to 1 John, that has been mentioned, we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete, 1 John 1, 4. We are writing these things to you, we are proclaiming them to you so that you may have fellowship with us. This fellowship of joy requires something of you. It means that you need to eliminate darkness from your life. Whatever darkness exists is not of God. The light of God, by starting with God, we see right away that we are unfit for the communion or the shared life that has been displayed since the beginning of the letter. Our darkness, your darkness, disqualifies you from the gospel. Jesus Christ restores that, but you can't take salvation from Christ and continue to walk in darkness. If he's the light of the world, he says, walk in the light. Live in the light. One commentator described the light in our passage as speaking of God's beauty. There's a visual component, and this is very encouraging if you're, if you're an artist of, of whatever kind. Beauty matters to God. In the Bible, the glory of God is the beauty of God, and it's the radiating, resplendent, majestic. Uh, You can't take your eyes off of him. You're drawn to him. It's what's irresistible about God. That's the quality of him, uh, the beauty of the light of God. 
The beauty that I saw when I was walking my dog early on Saturday morning is nothing compared to the beauty of God, but it's at least a hint. It's a hint. All the beauty in the world that you see is is a hint that God is supremely beautiful. There's also an intellectual component of God is light. It's the truth of God. You see, God knows all things. He's omniscient. It's the mind of God. And we'll spend eternity, if you're a believer in Christ, you'll spend eternity getting to know this infinitely true and intelligent and wise, all-knowing God. Every question, and not boring questions, interesting questions, questions that involve the most beautiful and complex things that you could ever wonder. But finally, and to our point, it speaks of his absolute holiness. This is the moral component of God. There is no sin in God. James says that God is the Father of lights with whom there's no shifting shadow, speaking of his unchangeableness. But there's no shifting in God as to his holiness as well. So this is not a theoretical message, is it? It sounds abstract. God is light. Whoa. That's really cool. And in him there is no darkness. That's upsetting. That's disturbing. That places a demand upon me. Theological truth is never separated from practical life. That's a a misnomer. It's a misunderstanding. It's bad. It's it's horrible when, when you are allowed to just sort of wax eloquent about God on Sunday and then live in the darkness all week. That's called hypocrisy. When there's something in our lives that does not reflect God's nature, it contradicts your claim that you believe in God. God himself defines the moral standard, and we are called not to argue with it, but to submit to it. And in that sense, we are sons and daughters of the light. This verse becomes an anchor, really, for the entire letter, where this congregation that John is writing to is wrestling with what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. And he's saying that it is God who defines it. Psalm 36, 9, in your light we see light. One of my favorites, Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 43, verse 3. Is a prayer. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. I am in darkness. I was on a hike once and my flashlight gave out and I wasn't back to my campsite yet. Like, I had a ways to go. I had a little, this will shock you, I had a little overestimated my abilities. And there wasn't any moon. And it wasn't familiar territory. I was scared. Now, when I was little, the the boogeyman did live under my bed. And I was scared then, too. But I've mostly grown out of it. But there are times we have these uh, water heaters that pop and squeak and make noises. And I'm like, oh, there's somebody in the hallway. 
It's just the, the radiator for, for our, uh, our baseboard heaters. Actually, when, before we moved into the house, my future son-in-law, who was a future son-in-law at that time, he's now my son-in-law, he was actually the first person to stay in the house because, you know, boys and girls don't sleep together before they're married. I don't know if you knew that. So anyway, we're doing this. He's in the house. The radiators are popping and creaking and all this. He was scared. There were times our children would come into our room scared of the dark. Maybe as an adult, you can't get to sleep because your mind is spinning. You're scared. And there's something about darkness which makes even, even simple problems during the day extremely difficult at night. As we close, first and foremost, Christianity is about God. But since God is light and darkness has no part of him, this means that Christian proclamation will, must, it has to result in personal transformation. That means your job right now is in searching your own heart, the catalog of your heart, to turn on the lights the light of the world, the light of the word examines us. It, it, it's the all-seeing eye of God. Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? Even, it says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So he says, and this is one of my applications, pray this, search me, O God. Can you picture a, a searchlight? These new halogen lights, they can literally scar your retina. Buy them at Walmart. It's a dangerous tool. God shines his light into our lives. And he uses other people to do it. Sometimes you need someone else to turn on the light. You're, you're too comfortable or accustomed to the darkness. Are your habits darkness or are they light media habits including pornography or adultery drinking eating habits work habits how is your ethic at school with tests or with homework assignments that don't count for anything research results in a lab maybe or the way you talk about your friends when they're not there that's darkness, friends. It is darkness. Selfishness in marriage or towards your parents. Self-centeredness, demanding. Making things revolve around you. The go your gospel doesn't begin with God when you're doing that. When I do that, I am, I am denying the gospel. God is light. It's good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Just one verse and the riches and the challenges and the help that we have been given. So in, as we conclude, Lord, as we're bowing in prayer, I pray that that one person who has not yet believed in God would be transferred from the kingdom of Satan and darkness into the kingdom of light and of love in Jesus. I pray this morning that the light of the world would illuminate the hesitating, faltering heart
that is standing on the brink of belief and that we would celebrate a new birth this morning if this is your will. And for those who believe, Lord, this is a call to renewal. We need a clean house, out with the old. We need to turn on the lights, put on our cleaning gloves and our overalls and get out the 409 and get to work, not on our own strength, by the power of the Holy Spirit in love so that we may experience the promised fellowship of joy that is here for us. And Lord, would you, as we individually do this prayerful, spirit-led work, would you build up this church to truly a congregation that sings your praise of men and women, boys and girls, rich and poor, all nations praising and singing the joys that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.